are in week three of a series entitled Hold It Together. And uh, we're going through the book of Colossians. And what we're seeing in the book of Colossians is really a, a beautiful message. It's, it's four chapters, it's 95 verses, and, and 15 times in those 95 verses, we see this beautiful message, this phrase of in Christ. And we're seeing that this concept that Christ holds all things together, that he holds the universe together. And if you've placed your faith in him, he's holding your life together. He's holding your circumstances together. He's holding your successes together, but he's also forgiving you of your, your sin. And he can hold all of that too. He can take that away from your life. And it's, it's a beautiful message until it gets a little weird. Until the Apostle Paul gets a little weird, and that happens in our passage today, so welcome to church today. And I want to read the verse to you where Paul gets a little weird, and it's going to frame up a lot of our time together. So take a look at the text with me. Colossians 1, verse 24. We're just going to read this portion of the verse to frame up our time. It says this. Paul says, now I rejoice in my sufferings. Is that weird to you? Now, I realize maybe it's actually not weird <laughs> because maybe some of you, you read the Bible in church every Sunday, you grew up going to church, and you're just like, the Bible says weird things all the time, Tim. And yeah, this is another one. And you just kind of glaze over the text. And, and what I want to do is, is not do that this morning. And I want us to, to realize that the scripture was written in a real time with real people involved in a real cultural context. Did you know that? Like it's God inspired, but it's written in and through people and to people that they were really alive, that they were going through real struggles in life, just like you are. And many times we, we do this weird thing where we disassociate the Bible from reality. And I want you to see the Bible is the most real thing we have in all of history. And, and so as we look at this, you have to understand and get some background on the whole book of Colossians. You see that the book of Colossians didn't just drop out of the sky. It was written by a person. His name was Paul. But his name wasn't always Paul. His name used to be Saul. And in fact, if you go back to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7 through, through 9, you can read about Paul's dramatic and radical conversion. That Paul is persecuting Christians, but he ends up proclaiming Christ. How does he do that? Well, he meets Jesus Christ. And the light shines in his darkness and, and his whole life is flipped on its side and he changes everything about his life. So much so that he goes to a city called Ephesus and he's proclaiming Christ and the transformation that he experienced in his life. He's proclaiming that now through his life to all these other people and he starts a church in the city of Ephesus and, and other people, their lives are flipped on their side by this same Jesus Christ. And one of those guys is a guy named Epaphras, and he receives Jesus Christ, and light shines in, in his darkness, and, and his life is transformed by, by Jesus Christ, so much so that he leaves the city of Ephesus, he goes back to his hometown of Colossae, and he starts telling everybody about the transformation he's experienced in Jesus Christ, and it's available to them as well. And this church rises up in the city of Colossae, and at this time, we believe that the church is maybe three to four years old, these, these young believers in Jesus Christ. And yet what's interesting is Paul has never met them. 
that we, we believe maybe Paul, by way of Epaphras and commuting and bringing this letter even to the Colossians, that's how it gets there. Paul's never met them, and yet he says, now I rejoice in my sufferings. The real person writing to real people that have never met him. Now, just imagine today I were to say to you, hey, pain makes me happy. Pain makes me happy. And imagine you didn't know me at all. You might think, should we, should we call somebody? Should we help this guy out? Is this guy okay? Pain makes him happy. That sounds pretty sadistic, Tim. And yet, yet Paul says it, and we're just like, yes, that's my Bible reading for today, and I'm going to go about my business at work. And you're like, wait, what? we got to find out. How does someone rejoice in suffering? And so that's what we're going to find out today. How could Paul say this? How could Paul live this? How could you live this? Okay, so we're going to look at the passage together. Look at it with me. Colossians 1, 24. We're going to take it to chapter 2, verse 5. You can look along in this Colossians journal. If you haven't gotten one of these, if this is your first Sunday, man, we'd love to give you one of these to follow along in God's word. There's some at the connect desk outside. Uh, But for now, you can look on the screen or look in your own Bible. Colossians 1. 24 through chapter 2, verse 5, it says this. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I fill up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. To make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance, of understanding, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom all are hidden, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments for Though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. If you take notes, here's, here's where we're going to go this morning, and we're going to go at it a little bit differently this morning. Uh, I, I want to give us this sermon title over the top of our time, How Not to Rejoice in Suffering. Go it a little bit differently. Uh, I had a, a few working titles uh, this morning. One of them was how to guarantee that your suffering is meaningless and sad. <laughs> that was a little demented, a little heavy. Let's not go there. Uh, but I want to kind of look at it that way, like how not to rejoice in suffering. And we're going to see how Paul actually does rejoice in suffering. Here's the first point. How not to rejoice in suffering. It is to pretend it is not there. To pretend it is not there. Instead of acknowledging it before God and others. 
Now, as I, I read this passage, I don't know what stuck out to you, but what stuck out to me immediately is that Paul doesn't make any effort to downplay his current condition. Right, look at the text with me. Verse 24, he uses this word suffering. Now, I, I thought, I mean, there's a lot of other words in the English vocabulary to, to use. He could have said, hey, I'm having a hard day. Hey, I'm having a bit of a slump. But he doesn't. He uses the word suffering. Pretty intense. Verse 29, look at that verse. He says, for this I toil, struggling. Another translation says it this way, I strenuously contend. Verse 1, he doesn't mince words. He says, how great a struggle. And I, I saw all that and I thought about Paul's audience. Remember, this is a, a fairly new church, three to four years old, lots of new believers. And Paul's writing this letter because they're getting all these false teachings that are infiltrating them. They're in danger uh, of leaving the faith. And you know, Paul's wanting them to stay in the faith, stay in Christ and in Christ alone. And I just thought, what an interesting strategy, Paul. Like, you're worried about these people running away from Christ into these other attractive arguments. And your best persuasive strategy is to talk about suffering and toil and struggle. And just like four times he mentions this over and over and over. And I'm thinking, if I'm a new believer in Jesus, I'm like, I think I might go this other way. And yet this is Paul's Paul's strategy. And I, th I think it rubs me that way because this is so different than how we talk about the Christian life in church today. It's so different than, than how church leaders like Paul, like myself, like other church leaders today talk about the Christian life today. You see, we, we, we like the phrase, we don't talk about suffering. That'll scare people off. Right? We want people to come in our church, give to our church, sing in our church, Right? We don't talk about suffering. No, we say things like, you know, how are you doing? A pastor, well, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. We say things like, hey, the best is yet to come. And everybody cheers. Right? We got, we got it down. Like as pastors, like we know how to get the cheers. Like my favorite is specifically like, like pastors and leaders do this. Like, hey, how you doing? Blessed and highly favored. In the Lord. Hey, they're never suffering. They don't struggle, toil, strenuously contending. That's not, that's not going to fill like the butts in the, the seats, right? We don't talk about that. Now, what's the, what's the problem with that? Well, the first thing is lying, which is a sin, right? Is it like if there's actually struggle going on in your life and you're like, no, blessed and highly favored, and you don't ever talk about the struggle, you're, you're lying. That's a sin, whether it's a leader or a person in the congregation. That, we, we shouldn't do that. Now, what's also the problem with that? The reality is everyone struggles. If you're new this morning, we're all a little less spiritual than we look. Everyone struggles because we live in a broken, struggling world. And so no one is immune from that. Not your pastor, not Billy Graham, not any leader in the government. No one is immune to struggle. So, so church leaders actually struggle. Like read a blog, listen to a podcast. And when we do that, and that's happening a lot now in our day with everything out there online, every time we see a church leader specifically struggle, we're Oh my gosh, we're shocked. It's scandal. 
And the reality is church leaders have always struggled. We just didn't have Twitter or Facebook. And I think we, 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 we struggle with their struggle because what we see is people on a stage like this or people on social media blessed and highly favored. The best is yet to come and we don't ever see the struggle. And so when the struggle comes out, we're shocked and we're devastated. That's the problem with this. What's another problem with this? Is the people, the church leaders and any leader are, are trying to lead like, they struggle too. Did, did you know the people across the aisle struggle? Even in, like, the people in church that dress nice, put on their Sunday best, they struggle. Like, some of them, like, their kids didn't brush their teeth this morning. I know, it's crazy. Like, some of them had an argument on the way to work this morning. <sighs> Scandal. So, I mean, like, people, everybody struggles. And yet nobody talks about it. Not in the church. So what's the problem with that? Everybody's experiencing hardship and difficulty and struggle, yet nobody's actually elevating it to the surface to talk about it. So therefore, nobody understands how to navigate their struggle for the glory of God and for their joy. Amen? Well, what does scripture teach us about light and darkness? It's when things get exposed in the light, when we talk about things, when we're authentic with our struggle. Hey, that's how it actually gets healed. And I believe so many people in, the day, in today's church and this church are struggling. Maybe that's you right now. You're struggling with your kids. You don't know how to navigate parenting in 2023. You're struggling, but you assume that John Smith and his family, they're not struggling. And so when they ask you, hey, how are your kids doing? It doesn't matter if they're struggling with their handwriting. You just say, oh, they're doing fantastic. Another year <laughs> on the way to the scholarship. It doesn't matter like financially, if, if maybe you're struggling and trying to figure out the market right now. And it ebbing and flowing, and it's like your retirement and your security. But everybody asks you like, hey, how, how you doing financially? Of course, we don't even ask that question, right? I mean, that would be too, too awkward. And you just, you're like, yeah, mine's going, I'm, I'm feeling good. You're feeling good too, right? Like we're all feeling good. And, and nobody airs their struggle. And so therefore we don't have a, how to navigate it according to the glory of God. And it never ends up bringing us joy. And so I just love that the apostle Paul this New Testament superhero, cape flapping in the wind. <laughs> and he says, struggle, toil, suffering. Like, I experienced that. And friends, can I just say, if, if we would talk about our struggle instead of pretending it's not there, that there would be some joy available to us. As a pastor, when I talk to other pastors who I think, well, there's no problems in your church. You're killing it. It's great. And they say, well, actually, <laughs> these things have been hard. That gives me joy. Not just because I want him to suffer, okay? But because I'm like, I'm not the only one. How do we do this together? Parents, that's the way it works. Grandparents, parents of adult children who aren't following Jesus, and again, you think you're the only one. You talk to another parent, you get around a group of parents. There's a group here that meets, that, that, that deals with 
kids with addiction and they meet together and primarily the, the big like secret sauce that's helping these parents is just realizing they're not the only one. Somebody else struggles too. And you can find joy there, even in the midst of suffering. How? Pretending it's not there? No, admitting that it is and submitting it to the one who holds all things together and experiencing joy in the midst of it. Here's, here's the second thing. How not to rejoice in suffering is make sure it ends with you. Here's how you don't rejoice in suffering. Guaranteed, your suffering is going to be meaningless and sad if you make sure it ends with you instead of using it to impact those around you. Now, to be clear, Paul did actually suffer. He's writing this letter from prison. He's suffering now. He talks about he's not with them in body. He's with them in spirit. He's actually in prison. He's suffering now. But that's not the only way Paul suffered. Uh, we get a glimpse of it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll have it on the screen for you. Paul talks about some other ways he suffered. He said, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Did Paul experience suffering? Yeah. He experienced some intense suffering, some suffering that you and I will never experience. Paul experienced. Paul experienced some, some suffering that the, the Colossians believers may never experience. And part of the reason is because Paul experienced it on their behalf to get this gospel message out to them. That he put himself out there on the front lines. And why did he do that? Again, is he the sadistic person who just pain makes him happy? No. The text tells us clearly why he did it. Verse 24, what does it say? I rejoice in my sufferings for, for your sake. Verse 24, he continues, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of the body. Now we're going to get back to what that means in a moment, but I want you to see this continue. Verse 28 and 29, he says, that we may present everyone else mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy. Chapter 2, verse 1, how great a struggle I have for you. You guys are going to pick this up along the way, I promise. Verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Verse 5, I am absent in the body, yet I'm with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. I love the way a pastor and author named J.D. Greer says it. He says it this way, that joyful sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love even more. Isn't that good? What's joyful sacrifice? What, what does joyful suffering look like? It's giving up something you love 
for something else you love even more. See, Paul refused to let his suffering terminate on him. Paul Paul refused just to look at his suffering with reading glasses. Like just up close, it's all about what's happening in him. No, he he got farsighted or nearsighted, however that works. I can't even remember. He, He put on some glasses that help him see farther beyond his suffering and what was happening in him and how God could use it to work through him to other people. That other people, Paul knew, were being knit together in love. They were going from death to life in Jesus Christ. They were getting things like assurance and understanding and understanding of God's mystery, which is Christ Jesus. He even says he's filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions so that the gospel could go forth. Now, this is a verse, again, that gets kind of weird. We read that verse and we're like, Tim, what was, what was lacking in Christ's affliction? I thought we sing a song called Jesus Paid It All. We've got to understand, Paul's not talking about the payment for sin being lacking. What he's talking about that's lacking is the proclamation of the payment. That, that, that Paul had this beautiful gift to suffer, yes, but to suffer to proclaim the suffering of Christ so that other people who were suffering could experience healing in Christ. How do we know that? How do we know he's not saying the cross of Christ is insufficient or something like that? Well, we let scripture interpret scripture. If you ever come across a verse, a good tactic, a good self-help is to know scripture always interprets scripture. So we know from Jesus in the gospels, when he's dying on the cross, he says this, Elaborate, elaborate phrase. He says, it is finished. He doesn't say, it's almost finished. And if you could come along and help me out with this, we could forgive the sin of the whole world. <laughs> and he just says, it is finished. Paul, the same guy who writes this, also says in Romans, Christ died for sins once for all. Listen, I don't know what you did this morning. I don't know what you did when you were 16. Christ is not coming back again to die for your sins. What Paul said in Romans is Christ died once for all of sin. He's not going to come back and do it again. The same guy who said that also says earlier in chapter 1 in Colossians, he has delivered us. He has transferred us. Past tense, Christ has already done this. His payment was sufficient for your sin. Well, what was lacking? The proclamation of the payment. And that Paul had this view of his suffering, that it, it didn't just terminate on him, that he has this unique opportunity to get this message out through his suffering to help heal the suffering of other people. And that is what gave him joy. Not being in prison, not the 39 lashes. It gave him joy to look across a room full of people like this, to to think about those people in Colossae and know that they were being knit together in the love of Christ. Jew and Gentile that have been separated by walls. The, The walls of hostility have now been broken down. And as Paul suffered, he thought about them. He thought about that. And that gave him joy. The suffering didn't give him joy, but the people gave him joy. I've seen this to be true in my life. 
Uh, some of you know our, our story has involved some suffering and some struggle. Uh, I've told you a few stories. One story is a, a few years ago when we were meeting in a school downtown and we got evicted out of that school with six weeks notice and we had to move out of that school and find a place to meet as a church. And let me just tell you, I did not rejoice in that suffering. <laughs> it was a hard time. We had six weeks to find the next place to meet for our church. And you start to wonder, well, yeah, what about the people? What about the giving? How are we going to last through this? And it was a time of, of struggle. And that struggle didn't give me joy. Something else gave me joy. It was when that week when we just took some time to say, hey, we're not going to scramble, we're not going to solve, we're just going to surrender this to God. And we're going to believe that God has something for us on the other side of this obstacle. There's an opportunity. And, and we just trusted God in that. And we were pretty honest about our suffering and our struggle in that. And through that, God provided an amazing church building where we were able to grow, experience healing, and really thrive as a church, not just ourselves, but impacting our community. And here's what gave me joy, is even in the years since, I've had people in our congregation who got to see us struggle that way, not perfectly, but who got to see us struggle well in Christ. And I've heard some of them say, you know, Tim, like, I, I lost my job. And I thought, man, I got to scramble, I got to solve, I got to figure this thing out. And yet I remember when the church, like a whole church, like Phoenix Bible Church, a whole organization just stopped and surrendered and prayed in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the struggle. And I thought, well, if a whole organization can do that, I can do that in my personal life with my job. I've had people come to me and tell me, hey, my marriage is kind of falling apart and we were just trying to keep up appearances, if we're honest, and we weren't talking about the conflict, and we were just going through the motions in life, and our relationship has become cold. And we even talked about, we kind of mentioned divorce. But then we remembered, like, I remember when the church was kind of going through a hard time, and you guys just stopped, and you surrendered, and you prayed in the midst of the struggle. And so we want to do that. Is there a community group we can join? Is there another type of group we can join? Can we see, see you for, for counseling? Because we believe if God could do it through the organization, he could do it through the marriage. And that is what gives me joy. I don't want to get evicted out of this building. I mean, just everybody calm down, Okay. I'm not looking for struggle. I have some people close to me who ask me that from time to time. I'm not looking for the struggle, but what I am looking for is the joy that comes out of the struggle. Amen? That's how it works, is when we don't allow it to terminate on us, we actually share it with other people, and we navigate it for the glory of God according to his word, for the joy of his people, we experience joy also. That's what Paul did. That was his secret sauce. That's how he was able to say something radical, something even maybe sounding a little weird. I rejoice in my sufferings because it didn't terminate on himself. It made a difference in other people's lives. Listen, everybody struggles. Everybody suffers. The question is not will you struggle or will you not? The question is what will your struggle produce? Not just in your life but in the lives of those around you. Like, I would just ask you right now, like, what, what are you struggling with? What are you struggling with in your, your marriage? What are you struggling with in your vocation? 
How are you struggling financially, emotionally, spiritually? The littlest thing to the biggest thing. How are you struggling? What are you struggling with? Is it producing anything else in other people? Or is it just terminating on you? Friends, that's how to waste your struggle. That's how to waste away in your struggle. If, you're, if your struggle just involves like, hey, I'm struggling right now, like financially we're struggling, but one day we are going to get a house and then we will not struggle. There's no joy there. Talk to people who got the house. There's still struggle there too, amen? The property tax goes up. I, there's still struggle. If, if it just is about you, if, if you're thinking, well, like right now we're struggling in our marriage, but you know, one day, like my wife is going to fix her problems and then everything's going to go well. Let me just tell you, friends, there's no joy in that either. There's a lot of pain. If you say that to your wife or anybody else, do not do that. No, where, where's the joy? What's well, when you start to, to share your struggle, admit your struggle, start looking to God's word. What do you say about marriage? Start looking to other people in your community, in your Sunday school class. Hey, how do you guys struggle with marriage? Hey, hey what, how do you guys navigate this? And there starts to be joy there because you start to see fruit in other people's lives from your frailty. You think, well, God can use success. I know that, but God can use struggle in my life and that brings you joy. How can you see, not just like try not to struggle, but how can you see your struggle bring glory to God and joy to other people and help to other people? That's the beauty of the local church. That's why we're here. Not to pretend that everything's okay, but to acknowledge the struggle before a holy God and have him help us help other people with the struggle. Here's the last thing. How not to rejoice in suffering. Focus only on removing it instead of redeeming it for the glory of Christ. Focus only on removing it instead of redeeming it for the glory of Christ. Verse 27 and verse 2, Paul says this phrase twice, this mystery, God's mystery. And what I love about Paul is he doesn't keep it a mystery. He proclaims what this mystery actually is. Look at the text with me. He says this mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 2, God's mystery, which is Christ. What Paul is talking about is since the Old Testament, there was this idea of, of being a blessing in the Jewish people, helping all the nations be blessed. Right? It started way back in the Old Testament. God's plan was to bring hope and blessing and redemption to all the nations. And he was going to use the nation of Israel to do that, the Jewish people to do that. But, but while we knew that, we didn't really understand the mechanics of how that would happen. And what he says is that was the mystery, but now that mystery has been revealed and it's been revealed in Christ. See, Paul is saying, hey, here's how it works. God became flesh. He suffered on the cross. He rose again to conquer suffering one day for good. And that's how not just the Jews, but that's how the Gentiles, many of them Paul was writing to in the book of Colossians, that's how you're saved. That's how you're transferred out of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's how it happens. 
And we know that because Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's been revealed to us. He's been made known to us. That all suffering has been redeemed, and we saw it clearly in the cross of Jesus Christ as he was up elevated on that cross, taking on all the sin and suffering of all mankind. And now he says, you even get glory in the midst of your suffering. How? Because that Christ who's been revealed, who's reconciled you, who suffered for you, he now is in you. And there's glory in that. Amen? That it's all redeemed. That it, you need to know that anything you have suffered, any suffering that's been done to you, that through the cross of Jesus Christ, now or someday in eternity, it will be completely redeemed. Nothing is wasted in God's economy because of Christ. It will be redeemed. And there's glory in that. Even when you're in the midst of suffering, that's how we rejoice. That we sang earlier, that sin and death are defeated. Glory to his name. That one day, all the things you're suffering right now, there will be no more tears, no more suffering, no more pain, because Christ will make all things right. It will be redeemed. You need to know that. If you're so far removed from Paul's concept of joy in the midst of suffering, do you know that you've been redeemed in Christ? You know that that suffering, that struggle, it will be fully redeemed one day. Do you know it? Do you believe it? Do you believe that he holds all things together? He's that good. He's that powerful. Even to redeem your suffering. So how do we rejoice in our suffering? We don't just try to remove it. We don't just try to get away from it as quickly as we can. We don't just pray, God, please take this suffering in my marriage away. God, please take this suffering in my finances away. God, please take it away. You can pray that. Just don't say amen right after that. Say, God, please take it away. Say that. Ask other people, hey, I'm suffering physically. Please, God, take it away. And yet, continue the prayer. But God, in the midst of this suffering, before you remove it, can you refine these things in me? Can you show me how you're working it together for my good and for the good of other people? That's where the joy is found. When you see how it's refining you, when you see how it's redeeming other parts of the culture even around you. And so we're going to end today taking communion. And it's a beautiful way to end because it's going to remind us of that truth we see over and over in the book of Colossians that we are in Christ. We're in Christ. That Christ suffered on your behalf so that even in the midst of your suffering, you could see it redeemed. And so we're going to remind ourselves of that as we take the bread, as we take the juice, and we're going to partake in those elements together to remind us that, that everybody struggles. Everybody you see with a cup in their hand and a piece of bread, they struggle, and yet they're, they're taking their struggle to Jesus Christ who struggled on their behalf. And that's when we're going to take communion to remind ourselves we can give everything to God, even our struggles, because he struggled for us on the cross. And so we have the ushers coming down. I'm going to pray for us. They're going to hand out the elements. If you know Jesus Christ, if you're in Christ, 
then take those elements, but just hold on to them and we'll partake of those elements together. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. God, I even thank you for, for suffering and for the suffering in my life, for the suffering in our church, for the suffering of these men and women. God, you have a redemptive purpose in it. Help us to, to see that. God, if you would be so kind, give us clarity so we can even rejoice in how our suffering is, is maybe helping those around us. How our suffering is bringing glory to you, furthering the gospel message to a world that's suffering. God, if you would be so kind to let us see that. And then we would start with just admitting it's there. Maybe we would just take a moment right now as we, as we grab the elements just to, to pray and talk to you and admit our suffering, our struggle. And maybe it's some of it's self-inflicted because of our own sin, and we would just confess that to you right now. We would stop listening to me and start talking to you and, and give you our sin and give you our struggle, give you our suffering. And as we take of the elements in just a moment, we would remind ourselves that all of that has been redeemed in Jesus Christ. There's glory in that. There's joy in that. And we could even celebrate this morning and sing about how you hold it all together. God, we pray that in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.